The History of Literature podcast is a member of the Podglomerate Network and Lit Hub Radio. Hello, I'm Jack Wilson. Welcome to the History of Literature. Okay, here we go. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I'm so glad you came here today, wherever you are. I'm so, I'm so glad you're listening. We have a fun one today. Our screenwriting friend of the show, Brian Price, is here to talk about the Academy Awards, a.k.a. the Oscars. We're going to take a little look ahead to this year's movies. We'll ask him about that, and then we'll get right to the heart of the show, which is one of our drafts, Oscar winners by decade. Which decade? Did Hollywood get right? When were the movies the best? And when did the Academy blow it? And was that because they didn't make good movies then or because they didn't choose the right movies as their winners? We'll hear Brian's thoughts on all of that coming up. Here's a real piece of karma for you. An email came in this week from a listener, Christian, who is one of our new Patreon subscribers. My thanks to all of our Patreon subscribers signing up for a small monthly contribution over there at patreon.com slash literature. We appreciate all of you for your generosity. Christian describes himself as a born-again reader and always hungry podcast listener. And he says, quote, I started listening to the history of literature after coming back from a disaster of a trip to Chile in 2017. I went there over a matter of the heart. It quickly turned south due to an unfortunate anniversary on her end, in a matter I'd rather never get into in respect to her. <laughs> Let me just pause there, Christian. I appreciate your discretion here and honor it, but boy, does that, does that phrase fire up the imagination? An unfortunate anniversary on her end. Sounds a little like Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Back to the email. I found myself walking the streets of Santiago alone, and visited Pablo Neruda's house in the city. I knew very little of Pablo Neruda, beyond a quote from The Simpsons about laughter being the language of the soul. Shortly after the trip, I decided to buy a collection of Neruda's poetry, and looked up if any podcast had done an episode on him. Lo and behold, I found your amazing podcast. I think that might have been the only time I ever shed a tear listening to a podcast, and ever since then, I remained a subscriber. Thank you for this service and pushing me to expand my horizons and read more regularly with your varied topics and discussions. End quote. Well, thank you, Christian. I'm so glad to have you on board, and I'm very touched by your description of listening to the Pablo Neruda episode. And then, lo and behold, the wheels of the universe click into place, and we get this. Suggestion from Christian in a P.S. If I may make an episode suggestion, he writes, Can you do an episode similar to the Nobel Prize by decade, but with the Pulitzer Prize in fiction? For whatever reason, I'm fascinated by giving credence to and critiquing in hindsight the major award bodies, similar to looking back to Oscar winners from previous years. And quote, Christian, how did you know? We don't have the Pulitzer Prize episode in the works. I'll put that one on the list. But as it happened, I had just recorded an interview with Brian Price 
about the Oscar winners from previous years, just moments before your email came in. I'm fascinated by this as well, and I, I think I know why. I'm interested in stories, which films are. They're art, of course, and they're forms of entertainment, but they're also, at their heart, stories that we choose to tell and that we choose to watch and that we do watch and that we share with one another. Our whole society watches these stories, love stories, stories about people in crisis, historical epics, and yes, even superhero stories. What does it mean that my grandparents lived during decades like the 30s and 40s? What stories were defining their experience? How did that define their experience? And can I, looking back at those movies, share in the values and decisions and dramas, large and small, that were meaningful to them? When they watched a movie like Casablanca, were they moved? Were they impressed? Did they see Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman as models for their own behavior? Did they learn from them? And can I look back and do the same? Or has the world moved beyond those values? Are we different? Do we care about different things, face different challenges, understand the human dilemma in some different way, and respond differently? That's what art does for me, and that's why I like looking back. It gives me all kinds of different perspectives, not just on me and you and all of our contemporary peers, but on the millions of people throughout time who have preceded us as listeners and viewers and readers. Stories unite us. When a story makes me scratch my head and I think, this is not all that funny, but it's trying to be funny. I love trying to figure out why that is. Did people actually think this was funny, ever? What about us has changed that we don't? And when there is this harmony, when I laugh at Charlie Chaplin, I think, how did he do it? What here is timeless and unchanging? What magic is that? What universality did he tap into? So, yes, Christian, we will be doing some lookbacks starting right now. Your wish is our command. Brian Price, after this. Hey, grown-ups, the Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his Fishbowl podcast studio from the Cat in the Hat himself, and it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast, and those plans are the opposite of quiet. The cat may be disruptive, but it turns out he's also a great help to get fish out of all kinds of predicaments. Bursting with music, silliness, and rhymes, the Cat in the Hat cast encourages us all to find fun that is funny in every episode. Sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at titanic tongue twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Wondery Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. 
Okay, here we go. This is going to be a fun one. It's Oscars season here in the United States, and we're joined by our favorite screenwriting expert, Brian Price, for a look at how the Academy Awards have done over the years. Brian is the author of the book, Classical Storytelling and Contemporary Screenwriting, Aristotle and the Modern Screenwriter, which I looked up before we started here. I see that it has five stars on Amazon.com. Brian Price, welcome back to the History of Literature. Well, it is my pleasure to be back with you, Jackie. Looking forward to talking about movies tonight. Okay, so here's what I have planned for today. We're going to do a draft of the Best Picture Oscar winners by decade. There have been 10 decades so far, starting in the 1920s and running all the way up to this decade, which is about to conclude the 2010s, which makes me feel old just saying that. (laughs) Uh, But before we begin, let's talk about this year, 2019. Are there any movies from this past year that you think of as standouts? All right. Well, I have to start by making a confession here because I know all the the critics and the pundits and the prognosticators are all picking Roma yep. uh, as the, the movie to beat. And I feel like I need to join an AA style group where I would stand up and say, my name is Brian Price <laughs> and I just don't get the big deal with Roma. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's funny. I I, yeah. I, I go, I, I lecture quite a bit. Um, and in the last month or so, I've, I've been getting the same question everywhere I've been. Somebody will stand up and they'll say, why is everyone going on and on about Roma? Mm. And I have to tell them, you know what? I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I, I certainly appreciate a movie that was written and directed and produced and, uh, you know, and shot by Alfonso Cuaron, who, who I've really enjoyed his other movies. But I have to say, one of the things I love about going to the movies is being transported and becoming, uh, you know, unaware that I'm sitting in the theater watching a screen. But that was a movie that, Every moment, I was just so aware that I was watching a movie, uh, mm. and that was that was my take on it. So, how, how did you feel about that one? That's interesting. Well, I haven't watched it yet. I was going to say I don't see a lot of movies in the theaters these days, unless they involve grown men and women in superhero costumes. I catch up. <laughs> I, <laughs> I catch up on them all when they hit Netflix and Amazon Prime, and I know that Roma is on Netflix, right? So, that is one that I should uh, be able to catch uh, before. The awards ceremony, and and then I can decide whether I'm going to root for it or not. You know, it's interesting. As I was doing research for this, I tend to come up with what I think are our standard opinions or my opinions. And when I think of things like, oh, that was critically well received, I tend to look at the website uh, Rotten Tomatoes, which is like an aggregator right. of uh, all the reviews and everything. And I noticed they also have a, a thing on there for the user rating. And I've right. noticed that there are uh, there are some years and some decades where the critics and the users are pretty in sync. There's a lot of, you know, 95% from one and 93% from the other. Mm-hmm. Recently, though, there have been some years where the critics are on one page and the users are much further down the scale. Critics are, are finding something... They're raving about a movie, and the users are in the low 70s or even below. So mm, um, interesting. it, it kind of makes me wonder if if maybe that says something about critics or about, you know, maybe they're just so starved for something that's uh, aimed at adults and aimed at, you know, has a little bit of artistic sensibility 
that they're just not finding the ones that are also very crowd-pleasing. Well, I also think that we, we tend to view movies in, in the past very differently from those that are, are contemporary to us because movies are, are worthwhile if they have something to say about the time in which they're made. Mm, but at the yeah. same time, they, they need to have this timeless quality. That I mean, we'll talk about this as we talk about the different decades. Right. And it makes complete sense that that critics who, who maybe are more more trained uh, you know, to see movies within the context of the history of film might see things that it takes your average audience, you know, a few decades to catch up with. Oh, so right. it makes sense yep. to me that these these older movies that there becomes an agreement yeah. between critic and and uh, and and your average audience, and and it makes complete sense that that now there isn't. I think you know of the movies this year that I, I hope will win. You know, I, I really loved The Favorite and I really loved Green Book. Mm. But I also have to say my fellow screenwriters, you know, may think, uh, may laugh at me, but I loved A Star is Born. Mm. You know, there, yeah. I, I was just completely captivated from from beginning to end. I, I loved the characters. I loved the story. It just felt completely authentic. I think at one point I realized I'd just been sitting there with a huge grin on my face. Yeah. And again, it was just everything I want to go to the movie for. That, I think, will run into some decades where we find some movies like that. Big stars, great music, great story, and just sort of all the pieces of a Hollywood picture coming together in a movie like that. That also is something people really love to go see. I feel like there are decades we're going to be going through where... That's almost you see that not only in the winners, but in all the nominees you can point to and say that, right. that that's a movie like that. That's a movie like that. So another way just to kind of set up the listeners for this, one of the ways I explained the concept of the draft to you was to imagine that you and I both work for a streaming service mogul who has acquired the rights to all the best picture Oscars. And he's given us the chance to each kind of create a channel where we're going to show great movies for people who love great movies, but we need to divide the movies up between us and we get to pick a block of 10 organized by decade. So, Brian, I'm going to let you pick first. Which decade of Best Picture Oscars would you most want for your collection? Well, I'm so glad that you're letting me go first because to me there's one decade that, that stands out among all the rest. I know it is a cliche among you know, film students and cinephiles, but, uh, you know, cliches are, are based in, on truth. And there is no better decade for my money for Oscar winners than the 70s. Oh, that was my number one, too. Yep. <laughs> of course, it should be everybody's. And, you know, we've got the two Godfathers. We got yep. French Connection, The Sting, One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, Rocky, Annie Hall, Deer Hunter. I think any of these movies would beat out just about any nominee from any other decade. Yeah. And then... You look at the ones that didn't win, yeah, like right. Last Picture Show and Chinatown and Jaws and Network and Star Wars, Apocalypse Now. I think in any other decade, the losers would beat out yeah. the Best Picture winners. Yeah. So very, very strong bench all around. And they're they're not just popcorn movies, although they have those too. But there's also right. you know, movies like Nashville and Network and All the President's Men. Mm -hmm. It's just an incredible collection of movies. And it also... It really feels like ten movies for adults. They're all uh, that's true. You know, they're they're all like smart, 
intelligent, but also beautifully made movies. This is the rise of the auteur, I guess you'd say, sort of the Hollywood shifting to filmmakers like Francis Ford Coppola. I mean, this is almost like the decade of Coppola. It's it's. Uh, 1970 right. was the conversation uh, and the gun. Yeah, yeah, the conversation. Really? I mean, <laughs> the conversation lost to the Godfather Part Two, right? <laughs> and also, 1970s victory was Patton, which Coppola wrote the screenplay for. And then, oh, um, wow. yeah, that so he won. Decade. So 1970 belonged to him in a sense with screenwriting. 72 was The Godfather. 74, The Godfather Part Two beat out his film, The Conversation. And then 1979, uh, Apocalypse Now was a nominee. And I think you kind of can see this throughout. You see the rise of Spielberg here with Jaws. You see Star Wars and George Lucas. And it's just that that generation kind of coming into its own. Taxi Driver was uh, Scorsese's movie, 1976. Oh, that's right. So it's really, uh-huh. uh, it's just a fantastic decade. I, I'm glad you chose it, number one, because part of me was worried that because I was a kid in the 70s that I was viewing these, you know, the way you walk into a school and the lockers all look, you, you know, you remember the lockers as being giant and the and the classrooms as being, you know, <laughs> with 20-foot ceilings or something. And I was a little bit worried that it was just because that I was a little bit biased that these were kind of the movies that grownups were going to when I was a little kid. But I think objectively speaking, it was just a fantastic decade for movies. Yeah, definitely un- unparalleled with the other decades. We could, we could program a whole, uh, that our mogul could, could have yeah. a whole streaming service <laughs> just from that decade. Okay, great pick. So I am going to take then uh, with my number one, I'm going to take the 1960s. And I should say the 70s were my number one choice by a mile. And after that, I have a little cluster. So I I could have gone in a couple of different directions here. But I'm going to take the 60s. And one of the things I'm going to point out is the range of movies that this is going to give my channel. And and like I said, the 70s, (laughs) the 70s were, you know, movies for grownups. They were movies that I was not allowed to see when I was a kid. But the 60s is giving me a brilliant Billy Wilder comedy, The Apartment, in 1960. Mm -hmm. And we're getting uh, the very good screenplay from 1966, Robert Bolt's A Man for All Seasons, which Uh is a movie that I love. It's got 1962, uh, a real centerpiece for me, Lawrence of Arabia, which is, I think, one of the greatest uh, movies of all time. And then I have four musicals. So, oh, yeah. Uh, West... two, two really good ones. Yeah, right. Exactly. So West Side Story, 1961. My Fair Lady, 64. Sound of Music, 65. And Oliver, 68. So this channel is going to, you know, it's going to be a little bit more family friendly, I think, than the 1970s. Uh, package that this is I can I can put some things on earlier in the evening uh, so to speak with age appropriate you know things for little kids hopefully they'll uh, enjoy the sound of music and and maybe West Side Story so it also has the civil rights classic in the heat of the night uh, which is worthy and Midnight Cowboy which I think is fading a little bit I tried to watch it with a a group of people and they were a little uh, they weren't really getting as into it as I had hoped but it does have the, <laughs> the Ratso Rizzo character in scene. Right. Um, 
I'm walking here. Uh, yeah, exactly. I, I wish Butch Cassidy had won that year. I mean, in the mm-hmm. 70s, I felt like they were, the choices for the 70s were just home run after home run. I, I A lot of worthy movies didn't win, but it was hard to fault any of the winners. In looking back at the 60s, I kind of wish Bonnie and Clyde or The Graduate had won or, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, Butch Cassidy. And the other one is Dr. Strangelove, which right. I loved when I discovered it as a teenager. I'm not sure it's held up as well for people under the age of 40 or so. It's such a Cold War movie, but I think I think it probably does, just with the Peter Sellers performances and everything. But it's Yeah, that, that stands up. So what do you think, Brian? Were they making watchable movies in the 1960s? I, I think any decade, like you said, that begins with the Billy Wilder movie winning uh, is is a good decade. Although we have to remember the apartment beat out Psycho, which I think probably mm. ultimately is, is a more worthy movie looking back. The, the one sticking point for me in, in the 60s, I, I love I love West Side Story. I love The Sound of Music. Yep. Um, Oliver is a movie I think nobody is clamoring to see anymore, yep. but 1968, let's just talk about 1968 for a second, because that's the year that Oliver won. And the most important movies that year, from my perspective, weren't even nominated. Uh, uh, I'm looking yeah. at Rosemary's Baby, uh, Planet of the Apes, Night of the Living Dead, and a little movie called 2001, A Space Odyssey, Wow, which maybe ultimately, you know, is the most important movie to come out of the sixties in many ways. Yeah. Um, you know, just in terms of the impact that it had on, on movies and on culture in general, but still aside from that one year, I would say a very, very solid decade and a really good choice. And I'm bummed that you've got all those movies on your channel. (laughs) Well, this looking at 1968 is interesting because it does seem like a real misstep. And I know that that has been one of the things that, you know, the Academy will get blamed for is sometimes it seems like the wrong movie wins, but other times it just seems like they completely whiff and they miss the movies that should have been nominated. And before you even get to the ceremony, you feel like the best movie is sitting on the sidelines. And here we have Oliver, Funny Girl, The Lion in Winter, Rachel, Rachel, which is a Paul Newman film I've never seen, and Romeo and Juliet, which I think was a, that was a very popular movie that was the one with the uh, Zeffirelli the Zeffirelli yeah those are kind of forgettable compared with the movies that you mentioned that weren't even nominated I think you know you have to look also at the context of the years in which these these films were nominated I mean there was a lot going on in the country a lot going on in the world uh at the end of the 60s and and it's very possible a lot of these voters just wanted to play it safe and non-controversial. Yeah, that's right. That's interesting. And it also seems like you can start to see, you know, especially when you take a look at the 50s, which we haven't gotten to yet, but when you start to see the 60s moving forward, you can kind of see the breakdown of the Hollywood. You know, you see the cracks in the Hollywood system. Right. And you can start to anticipate the 70s are around the corner. You know, Butch Cassidy comes in in 1969, but you can see them yeah. hanging on to these musicals. I, it, it almost feels my parents were 
my parents basically were, uh, you know, high school students in the 50s. And then they immediately became school teachers. And so they were suddenly the establishment, you know, age 21 right. or 22. So my parents turned 22 in 1962. And they spent the 60s, you know, wearing tie, you know, my dad wore a a tie to school to teach school and and meanwhile these teenagers who were only about five years younger than him were going through the 60s and i almost feel like these were the movies that my parents had the soundtracks to you know oliver and <laughs> and uh the sound of music and uh there was another hello dolly was a, <laughs> was a big one in our house and it almost feels like there is probably a whole generation of academy voters who were not ready to move on to Rosemary's Baby or 2001 A Space Odyssey. True, very, very true. What, one final thing I would say about the 60s, though. Um, you, you talked about 70s being the, the decade of Coppola. Uh, the 60s is the decade of, of Ernie Lehman, mm. um, screenwriter and, and producer. He, he, he wrote uh, North by Northwest, but he also wrote West Side Story and, and Saturn Music. I mean, he... he Hello, yep. Dolly. He produced. Yeah. Um, so he, he's a name that maybe a lot of folks listening to this podcast might not be familiar with, but um, really, really major uh, force in, in filmmaking, especially in the 60s. Mm. And uh, I see him on here as uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf is another uh, movie yeah. that he produced. Yeah. I think I mentioned Bonnie and Clyde a little bit. That's one that I really should have mentioned as being kind of the... Uh, where you see the six the seventies being around the corner. That's yes, and 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 Easy Rider as well. I think was uh, oh, sixty nine. Yeah, and uh, I think, yeah, and then I just can't, I can't. But then my eye drifts down to the seventies, and I see nineteen seventy Patton won, but the nominees were Five Easy Pieces and Mash. And <laughs> right. It just seems like ugh, the floodgates had were were about to open. Okay, so what is your number two? My number two, let me see. All right. In terms of movies that matter and and that reflect their time and and remain timeless as well, I'm going with the nineties. Mm, um I think any any decade that any decade that produces uh Unforgiven, Schindler's yep. List, American Beauty and and Titanic, I think four very, very different movies, but all future classics, certainly. I will I will give some caveats to the, the decade. I think Goodfellas should have beaten out Dances with Wolves. I think either Shawshank Redemption and, and Pulp Fiction are superior to Forrest Gump. Hmm. And I will wonder to my dying day how Shakespeare in Love won Best Picture over <laughs> L.A. Confidential. But... Uh, you know, the Academy hit better than 50% that decade, and I would say the those winners that I mentioned are up there in the pantheon of, of the great movies of all time. Yeah. They are very watchable movies. <laughs> you know, that is damning I, with faint praise. No, no. <laughs> No, I don't mean it to be. I mean, you know, some of these, you you kind of have to be, some of these decades, you kind of have to be a a real film buff in order to want to uh, run through some of the nominees. But there's a lot of popcorn movies here and a lot of crowd pleasers. And there's, it's sort of, it's still high quality, I feel, but it's, it's the sort of, you know, Braveheart one or, right. uh, you know, Titanic is certainly uh, filled the seats. 
Schindler's List is is a, a serious movie, but it was a you know a very uh, it also did well at the box office. And you know these are Silence of the Lambs is still kind of a Halloween classic, and maybe it's because it's only twenty years old or so, and that's why these are still watchable movies. But I feel like you know I could put on uh, Apollo thirteen for my kids, one of the nominees that lost, or or Fargo, or Jerry Maguire, or The Postman. Uh, Il Postino, and some of those would still be quiz shows. Another one I'd like to show them. They were making movies for grown-ups that people liked going to see. Yes, very true. All right, so that was my pick for number two. What's your pick for number two? Okay, well, um, I am going to take the 1980s. So it, I almost feel like I was anticipating that you were going to take the 70s. And so my number two, I put the 60s and the number three were the 80s as if I had to take whatever I could get that was closest to the 70s. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so this has got Ordinary People, Chariots of Fire, Gandhi, uh, Terms of Endearment, Amadeus, which I still love, Out of Africa, Platoon, mm-hmm. The Last Emperor. These are, are good movies or great movies with great scripts, great stars, great directors, Rain man one driving miss daisy i think is kind of viewed as a misstep which was a bit of a weak mm-hmm. year born on the fourth of july was nominated that year dead poet society field of dreams and my left foot you can kind of feel like it's maybe starting to get a little more um i don't know these are movies that are maybe trying too hard to win awards it seems like or something <laughs> something yeah. is happening here where it, it doesn't feel as edgy or as you know we're getting kind of far away from the 70s here it doesn't feel like it's artistically as as ambitious um not in a avant-garde kind of way but a movie like the godfather is it's you feel coppola's vision it's it's breaking ground and it's it's kind of cinematography and it's firing on all cylinders and as we move away it starts to get you know we still have big movies with movie stars but there just seems to be Something a little safer about these movies, especially toward the end of the decade. But, you know, the 80s also had a lot of movies that didn't win. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, Raging Ball, Raiders of the Lost Ark, E.T., Tootsie, uh, The Verdict, Hannah and Her Sisters, and Room with a View. Those are all still movies that I have a lot of affection for. And again, this might be because of my particular age. But uh, these were all movies that I enjoyed. And I think I would give them a couple hours of my time now. I, I agree. I'm, I'm. We're of the same generation. I think uh, I have a lot of affection for the '80s, mostly for for sentimental reasons. I think that these movies that you mentioned uh, do feel a little bloated to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, even when I look back at things like, uh, yeah, Out of Africa and The Last Emperor and yeah. and Chariots of Fire, um, th- they're movies that do seem a little bit like spinach me yeah uh they did at the time and they still do i don't seek them out uh and like you said they were far better movies um you know you mentioned raiders and et and 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 empire strikes back i i'm a huge big chill fan uh and witness and broadcast news all came out of the 80s but i think it's you know when you think about the decade the 80s you kind of think about bloated ostentation you know people were uh we're, we're putting on the appearances, you know, the fashion yeah. of the eighties is, is horrible. So it, it's perfectly fitting that the movies themselves, <laughs> you know, just kind of, they, they, they kind of check off the boxes of what you expected in the Academy Award movie. Like, like you said, without the soul of the, 
uh, you know, the artists taking real chances, I think. Right. So the uh, a movie like Gandhi might be the equivalent of the girl at my high school who used to use an entire can <laughs> of hairspray on her hair every single day. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Although, yeah, I mean, I to this day in my classes, I, I teach Tootsie. Uh, and I don't know that Gandhi has ever crossed anybody's lips in my classes. So. Yeah. Again, looking looking back, you kind of see these movies a little bit differently. Right. Okay, let's take a quick break and be back with the rest of our picks of the Oscar winners by decade. Okay, well, we are so far in sync. I uh, We have taken my first four, so I'm interested to hear on where you go from here. So what did you take as your number three pick? Let me see. See, I am going for my number three pick with the fifties mm. for for the trifecta of All About Eve on the Waterfront and Bridge on the River Kwai. Yeah, I think you know you look at these movies. I think most of them I can give or take, but I think these three are going to end up on any uh, you know film lovers twenty best twenty five best films of all time. Yeah, um, I have to to say you know to me. The tightest race of the decade, looking back in hindsight, goes to to All About Eve versus Sunset Boulevard. I know we talked about yeah. Billy Wilder before, um, but just a a, a master. Uh, I would have certainly selected Sunset Boulevard, but look at all the Osirans. You, you got High Noon and Streetcar Named Desire and Shane and Some Like It Hot, which didn't win, but yeah. one of my all-time favorite movies. So it is a very solid decade and i'm gonna program it in my channel that is a good uh, yeah i like the 50s kind of for the movies that you mentioned there are some movies that i've watched and i kind of scratch my head Uh, i've never been able to uh understand the appeal of marty or uh gigi (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, around the world in 80 days i think we've probably you know there have probably been uh tv versions of the movie that is are just as compelling at this point Uh, oh yeah but you know it's interesting all about eve i almost feel as if you know there's an interesting thing that happens when a movie lose it like billy wilder lost to what is basically a billy wilder movie that he didn't write you know, <laughs> That's so um, true. Yeah. and I, I was talking about this. I was talking to a friend about Hitchcock movies and I noticed Gaslight is in uh, the 40s. And that's a movie that I think, you know, Hitchcock basically like the best Hitchcock movie he never wrote and or that he didn't right. direct. And he used to say that everyone just right. assumed that he wrote it. Um, or that he right. directed it, you know, because of how close it is to him. And it, it, it feels that way with All About Eve. That's a, a movie Billy Wilder, I'm sure, uh, watched and enjoyed and, and maybe didn't mind losing to, or maybe it made it worse that it was, you know, maybe he would have preferred to lose <laughs> to uh, King Solomon's Mines or something that was not quite in his uh, wheelhouse the way that was. That's very true. Okay. I also, um, you know, a, An American in Paris is kind of an interesting one for you. I think... Uh, you know that'll be uh, a good one for your channel to give you a little bit of a little bit of music and a little bit of color. It's got the great Gene Kelly in it. Again, it's a little bit a little bit long and maybe a little uh, a little slower, but it's got some beautiful scenes and choreography. I remember enjoying that when I watched it, and 
uh, if you take some nominees from your years, um, a streetcar named Desire is in there, and you you definitely are getting oh, yeah. some between the fifties and the seventies. You sort of own Marlon Brando, so you're uh... <laughs> yeah, that's true. We might have to rename the channel. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to take the nineteen forties. Okay. Next, I had it on my list as fifth, and I think if Citizen Kane had won in 1941, I might have even bumped it up to uh, third or fourth, although mm-hmm. that was a pretty loaded year with the Maltese Falcon and Suspicion and the Little Foxes, and then they all lost to How Green Was My Valley, which... Uh, yeah. <laughs> a bit of a puzzle. Mrs. Miniver is one I haven't ever been able to get into. And again, I I wish the Magnificent Ambersons had won that year, except I would also need to really rewrite history and make it the actual Orson Welles version rather than the one that was right. chopped up at the time. But the reason why I'm taking the 40s is really the miracle of Casablanca in 1943, which won Best Picture. And I just feel grateful. This These were years where... They had a ton of nominees. This was, right. you know, eight, eight, I guess, or ten, maybe. And I'm just glad that that Casablanca could have very easily not been recognized because it's it, it's not a big budget movie. It had all of those production issues with the casting, and you know, it was kind of a it was it was such a lightning in a bottle kind of uh, picture the way that it was made. I'm glad that they recognized it as best picture and that it got the credit it deserved. Gentleman's Agreement was an interesting choice in 1946. I've I've watched that. It's sort of, I feel like the 40s has a lot of good movies that I enjoyed or that I respect. They're not my favorite movies. The Best Years of Our mm-hmm. Lives is kind of like that. Hamlet, the Laurence right. Olivier Hamlet is like that. And the, uh, <laughs> the other thing that is a little unfortunate with the 40s is Hitchcock's Rebecca won him the the best picture award but that's not even my favorite hitchcock movie from that year uh <laughs> a, a foreign correspondent which i i prefer to yeah. it was a, was a nominee and that year also the great dictator was in there the grapes of wrath uh the philadelphia story probably would have been my choice for best picture so yeah i don't know it, it feels like i'm not as in sync with the academy's choices but then again you know they were choosing what has it been now 50 or 60 years ago so or more 60 or 70 years ago so from where I sit today. So I guess it's maybe not a surprise that their view of what was worthy is not identical to my view. True. I, they, they had good intentions. I think Gentleman's Agreement also with uh, Lost Weekend and All the King's Men, you know, these are, are, are movies kind of striving to be current and, and yeah. important in terms of the issues of the day. So not just escapist material, not just musicals. We had some thoughtful movies that decade, but I agree with you. You, you picked the decade for Casablanca, one of the best movies of all time, and it makes it worth it to have all 10. I could probably just run that on a loop. There you go. I'll have yeah. entire days where I'm just doing a 24-hour uh, Casablanca, which you'll be able to do with The Godfather, and probably you could probably do that, and you could probably win the ratings game. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you should you should alternate Casablanca with its sequel that I think David Soul starred in at some point uh, as a made-for-TV movie. Oh, interesting. Okay. So... I don't really remember what they called it, Casablanca 2. All right, so my... My next pick, I'm going with the 30s. Mm. Um, And I'm going with the 30s because 
uh, I think it happened one night and you can't take it with you are yeah. two classics. And I love the fact that this was back in a time where comedies could really win these top honors that didn't yeah. really happen anymore. Yeah. But I choose a decade just for one year. You know, uh, we yeah. talked about 1968 <laughs> as being a major year for movies 1939 probably the single greatest year for movies um they gave it to gone with the wind but that was the year of nanotia stage coach mr smith goes to washington the mice and men a little movie called uh, wizard of oz yeah you know i think that year's nominees alone provide us with a decade's worth of uh, best picture winners if we're allowed to include the losers as well yeah withering Uh, wow can you imagine gone uh, at Wuthering Heights, yeah. Yeah, with uh, uh, Laurence Olivier and a Ben Hecht script. Uh, I, I just think, yeah, Gone with the Wind and Wizard of Oz, the fact that those two movies came out in the same year, Victor Fleming, is just astounding. I'm a little jealous of you from a sort of film buff perspective for a couple of movies that you get along with the 30s, uh, Mutiny on the Bounty. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know if my kids would sit through it, but it's certainly one that I've enjoyed in, on a kind of Turner Classic Movies night. And Grand Hotel, which has this cast of Greta Garbo, Joan Crawford, John Barrymore, Lionel Barrymore. It's fun to see these people knowing that they were kind of the big stars of the 20s and 30s. It's just fun from a movie history perspective to get a glimpse of these absolute uh, legendary stars. Absolutely, man. That that was a big movie star vehicle and soon to be a small screen vehicle with uh, Eva Longoria. I think Grand Hotel is a television series coming up very soon. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. So let's see. It is my pick. I got to make sure we skipped over a few that I had higher on my list. So I will have to. Oh, this is getting to the part of my list where I start to get a little bit sad. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm going to take the 2000s. And okay, I'm with you there. I get a little sad because I feel like we stopped making these great movies and are now just making pretty good. Crash is certainly a weak entry on this list. But movies like like Gladiator is okay, A Beautiful Mind, uh, Chicago, The Lord of the Rings, Million Dollar Baby, The Departed. You know, a lot of these movies... Okay, so in 2008, Slumdog Millionaire won. And it beat The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Frost, Nixon, Milk, and The Reader. Now, out of those, I guess if I had to rewatch one of them, it would probably be Frost, Nixon. But that's like a hundred movies that you would see on Netflix or Amazon Prime these days, where it's 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 smart and it's well made and it's it's got a you know a good screenplay. It's an interesting historical topic, but it's not exactly. Lawrence of Arabia or something where you're going to make a night out of going to the movies and feel like you've, you know, had a transformative experience. Uh, even the other, some of the other winners too, they, they feel like leftovers to me. I mean, Chicago is, I'm not sure that's one of the 10 best musicals of all time. And No Country for Old Men is, I'm not sure if it's one of the Coen brothers' best five movies or The Departed is, is not Scorsese. It's not peak Scorsese. It just feels a little bit like 
I don't know, the momentum maybe was moving away from these fantastic movies like The Godfather and, and even the ambition to make a movie like that and getting more toward, I don't know, if the studios have taken over again and, and maybe there's a little less room to to expand and, and have the kind of sweep or uh, scope or ambition that those movies had or what exactly it is. But I feel like they're just, they feel lukewarm to me. I'm, I'm totally with you. That, that decade's a real mishmash. I, I'm never going to sit through Crash or The Hurt Locker again, but you know, th- th- those years, Brokeback Mountain and, and yeah. Avatar are movies that I would see right. uh, you know, over and over again. I'm actually really psyched for the, the Avatar sequels. But I'm I'm a big fan. I love A Beautiful Mind. I love Return of the King. Yep. Um, you know, these are movies to me that I feel compelled to watch if I happen to find them while I'm channel surfing. I'm not seeking them out. It's kind of what I call the the Galaxy Quest effect. Yeah. You know, if I'm flipping through channels and Galaxy Quest comes on, I got to see that through to the end. Uh, and I feel the same way about The Departed and Slumdog Millionaire. They're not particularly great movies in the pantheon of great movies, but they're serviceable. Yeah, I I am the same way. I mean, there there are a lot of good movies. You know, Michael Clayton, I think, is a good movie. Little Miss Sunshine, uh, Capote. Oh, yeah. You know, they, they have something good about them. But then there are movies, you know, like The Aviator and Seabiscuit that, that just feel a little bit uh, warmed over, <laughs> like they were trying to to find a movie that they thought would be that, that maybe the, the field of nominees was a little thin for them to, uh, to try to pick from. That is so true. Wow. You, you compare it to a year like, uh, you know, 1939 where any of those movies could have been a winner and yeah, you kind of scrape in the, the dregs, but you're leaving the real dregs to me, uh, <laughs> with my next pick, because then I've got to go with the, uh, the 2010, yeah, uh, of which <laughs> there were only really, uh, it's not a complete decade, right? So in that way, it's not fair. Uh, I will say that Birdman is one of my absolute favorite movies in recent memory. That's a movie I just, uh, I just adored when I saw it. Yep. The Artist too is a movie I really, really love, but it was a complete surprise uh, when it won. I think Spotlight is is solid. I, I love that Guillermo del Toro uh, was long overdue to win, but Shape of Water is certainly not his best movie. Yep. Um, I was more excited when they made the mistake of pulling La La Land out of the envelope <laughs> than, than when they corrected it with Moonlight. But you know, going back to our, our earlier conversation, if they give this year to you know uh, Green Book or The Favorite or A Star Is Born again, that's that's where all my uh, votes went this year over Roma, uh, I would be very, very excited and, and have very hopes that this decade is going to shape up to be a, a more competitive one. Yeah. What do you think about this this last decade? Well, you know, it is, again, I'm starting to feel like I'm not seeing a lot of distinction between the movies that won and movies, you know, I guess, I guess it, it has collapsed where the streaming services you know, Roma, that was never released in the in the theaters, I don't think, was it? They now just, uh, I, or did they have they to? They did. They have, okay. Yeah, they have to release it. It got a pretty much a, like a two-week head start over Netflix. I saw it in the theater, um, and when you see on a big screen a close-up of a puddle for 10 minutes, <laughs> 
it <laughs> it makes you want to dive into your your bucket of popcorn. <laughs> it doesn't have the same impact. I, I I started to watch it again on the small screen, and it's actually a much lovelier movie on the small screen, especially if you're not coming at it with all of the the expectations you have, you know, for an evening out at a big theater. So for those folks who haven't seen Roma, uh, I definitely think it's a, it's a better movie on the small screen than the big one. Yeah. Or uh, The King's Speech is a good example of, of what I'm, I guess, trying to put my finger on, where it's, I, I remember enjoying it. Critically, it did very well, and it was popular with moviegoers, too. I'm not so sure it's any better than uh, The Queen. Yeah, probably not. It's it, it's a movie that it, you wouldn't be surprised to see made for Netflix. There's right, nothing particularly exactly. cinematic about it. Yeah, maybe that's what I'm I'm sort of getting at is is it doesn't and and maybe part of this is because it's almost too recent for me where I can look at a a movie that has Gary Cooper or or Humphrey Bogart and feel like I'm watching these giants and maybe, you know, 20 or 30 years from now, people will feel that way about Ben Affleck in Argo or, um, you know, Michael Keaton in Birdman. And, and I'm just not in the same boat. I, I view them as, as lesser mortals than some of the, uh, the superstars from the past, but, uh, you know, the Brandos and the, and the Jack Nicholson and the Dustin Hoffman's. So, Maybe it's maybe I need to let the 2010s get a little more seasoning before I dismiss these movies. But it is I had it as as ninth on my list. And it was ninth on mine. And I think it goes back to what we were saying before. These movies, you kind of have to take some time to digest them, to really put them in the context in which they were made and see if they there are aspects of them that, that stand the test of time. I, I think gravity you know talking about alfonso Cuarón again that's a movie mm. i loved when i was watching it i i don't know if it had any resonance beyond that initial experience of sitting there um but i bet in the in the future i'm gonna still enjoy watching midnight in paris mm -hmm. uh, one of my favorite woody allen movies uh so they're definitely a handful in there and i look forward in, in you know 10 20 years looking back and seeing what were the movies that really did emerge as the the meaningful ones. Uh, we we leave you with with only one decade uh, <laughs> to pick here for your last. Uh, so I am going category. to I'm going to take the 1920s with my last pick, the one awesome. that's left to me. The listeners might not be aware that the I think the reason why we're laughing here is there's only two pictures, and I actually <laughs> haven't seen either one of the ones that won. <laughs> me uh, Wings is a silent war film starring Clara Bow, who is famous as the It Girl. So that would be that would be fun to watch, I guess. Although silent silent movies for me, frankly, if it's not Charlie Chaplin or Buster Keaton or Harold Lloyd, I have a hard time uh, sitting through the entire thing. The other film that won was the Broadway Melody, which was a hit, and I enjoyed reading about this. It had sound and it was in color, so it was it kind of stood out as. Uh, uh, an early adopter of those things, although they released a silent version of it because many movie houses still didn't have the ability to play sound. So imagine if you went to see this movie called The Broadway Melody and you got there <laughs> and, and found that it was just a silent film. Here's the thing, though. If, the 20, if they had started the Academy Awards earlier, I think the 20s, uh, assuming that they picked all the right movies, 
The 20s could have been much higher on the list. I picked some out. 1920, we could have The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. 1921, we could have The Kid. 1922, Nosferatu. Uh, 1923, we get Safety Last with Harold Lloyd. 1924, Sherlock Jr. with Buster Keaton. And then 1925, we could either take another Charlie Chaplin with The Gold Rush, or we could take The Battleship Potemkin the same year. So that would have been a pretty solid decade. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been great. Okay, so is there anything that we haven't said that you noticed as you went about this exercise about the different decades or the trends? I mean, it, one of the things that jumped out to me was the the flush of musicals and how easy it was seemingly for a musical to win. Or, or maybe it, I guess that just speaks to the type of musical that was being made with big budgets and you know, the the two and a half or three hour musical with with big scenery and and characters and uh, maybe playing off of the popularity of Broadway musicals at the time, whatever the reason was for it, that jumped out at me as all those all being kind of clustered. Were there any other trends or anything that you noticed as you were going through this exercise? Well, I I think one of the things about the musical is just to play off that uh, kind of goes back to you really have to to dig into what was going on that year and 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 what was happening in the culture to to get a sense of why the academy was was choosing the movies that they did and and certainly uh westerns had had clusters uh movies about world war 2 had clusters like you said so we can kind of look at these movies and not just judge them as as films in isolation but but ask questions about what do they say about the time in which they were um, produced and, and, and being granted mm-hmm. these honors? So we, we kind of made fun of, of, of Oliver in a way that there were so many better movies that came out that year. But I would be very interested in, in, in looking a little more in depth as to what was going on in Hollywood, particularly at that time, to have the voters feel like that was going to be representative of, of the, the state of the art at the time. Yeah. Now I know the academy. The academy's done a lot this year, trying to open itself up to, you know, more more movies in the categories, uh, a more diverse group of of nominators and voters, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays. And Spike Lee got nominated for the first time this year. Is that is that even possible uh, with this body of work? Yeah, yeah. It, it he could be a. Uh a long shot to win, but you know, one of those where they, they give you the award because as a career achievement, uh, almost like the departed do the right thing. Really? That should have been nominated. Uh, Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I think it won the, at cam that year, uh, but I think I do recall Spike Lee saying something recently, you know, if if they hadn't opened up the, the membership to a more diverse group, he doesn't think he, the black Klansman would have been nominated this year. Mm. Right. Um, but you look at things like, you know, if Bill Street could talk, even Black Panther, yeah. um, you know, the first superhero movie to be nominated for Best Picture. We are getting to see different kinds of movies that are reflective of the changes that are going on in the culture. And with, with Me Too, with Black Lives Matter, uh, you know, gay marriage, all, all, all these underrepresented constituencies are having movies made that reflect their experiences. And now we're, we're really seeing them at awards time. So looking back, I think people will make that judgment. What was going on in, in 2018 and 19 that that's reflected in, in these particular choices. 
And you know what? Someone who's listening to this podcast in, say, this episode 20 or 30 years from now might say, too, is given that the Academy Awards ceremony, the the ratings for it is just on this total downward trend. They might listen to the two of us talking and say, didn't you guys realize that the 70s, you were glorifying the 70s. The 70s weren't over. They were, in fact, coming back around. There was a renaissance in that style of filmmaking and that freedom to make movies. It They just weren't being made by Hollywood. It was being made by production companies for streaming services and cable channels. And there was this boom in artistry and quality and and, and acting and cinematography and all of that. It was just all the innovation was being done at the level of television or uh, movies that you could watch on your iPad. And, and that may be, looking back, that may be the transition that we're going through now. I, I think that you're absolutely right. I think the best dramatic narratives that we're experiencing these days are all happening on the small screen, not just in terms of you know a, a device with which to distribute more conventional movies, but in terms of how the stories are being told. I think the long-form, uh, serialized, finite television series, uh, you know, 10 episodes, a beginning, middle, and an end, we never got to see those before, except in the rare instances of like a television miniseries. But now more and more on Amazon, Netflix, you see these little stories, things like, you know, Safe or The Bodyguard, mm. Um, strange, you know, uh, Stranger Things. Uh, yeah. They're 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 like movies in how they're structured. It's just we get to to space them out over time and and get a much much more in depth, leveled, layered layered narrative because it's ten hours instead of two. But I think you're absolutely right. I think we are kind of at a golden age when we look back. It's just not in the theater. It's in the living room. Mm. Well, and as my uh, kids will probably be uh, someday nostalgic for their era of movies, you know, being launched on Netflix and and the actors and the directors and everyone tweeting at each other about the launch of the movie on Netflix, I will probably go to my grave with nostalgia for the era of the 70s and 80s and the Academy Awards ceremony where it was the second biggest you know, show on TV each year after the Super Bowl and everyone was wearing tuxedos and you got a chance to glimpse these stars that you didn't otherwise have a lot of access to and they they would be sitting in the front row and they would have a, a, a Billy Crystal or a Johnny Carson or a Bob Hope or somebody up there at the podium and it may be a, an era that's fading and, and it may even be bygone at this point, but it is going to live on for me as... You know, the period where movies really were larger than life. Well said. Okay, well, let's leave things there. Brian Price, as always, thank you for joining me on the History of Literature. My pleasure, Jackie. I hope we can do it again soon. Okay, there we go. My thanks to Brian for joining us. I had a lot of fun, and as always... I value Brian's insights into these movies and how they work. Go check out his book on Aristotle and the Modern Screenwriter. And my thanks to Christian and all the other Patreons who helped to make this show possible. Your generosity is much appreciated. We'll be back soon with a jump back into the Victorian age and another trip through the Middle Ages coming up soon. 
and Mike Palindrome with some more contemporary fiction. Mike's working hard on his David Foster Wallace Part 2, and he and I will also have a discussion of a 20th century master known for his brevity and his cleverness. Which is not David Foster Wallace. How's that for a teaser? I'm Jack Wilson. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.